Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to have you with us again today. My name is Matt. I'm the pastor here at Friendship Church. And I am curious what you had for breakfast this morning. Uh, I had a bowl of honey bunches of oats this morning in order to get me going. And I'm wondering, what is it that you had this morning for breakfast? Did you like it? Was it good? Uh, Go ahead and put that in the chat and let us know what was for breakfast this morning. I hate to start things on a bummer note today. But I have to do that. Uh, Because of the weather, we are going to have to cancel drive-in worship today. The wind, the rain, the cold are supposed to just continue throughout this day. And frankly, we don't have a way to protect the thousands of dollars worth of sound equipment that we use so that all of you can hear us out there in the parking lot. And I know that's a bummer. I enjoy those drive-in worship times as much as anyone, but just because of The weather that we've gotten today, we're going to have to cancel today. But we're here now, and we have an opportunity to worship God now as we gather our living rooms together in order to spend some time with Jesus and enter into this sermon series called Everyday Idolatry. It's a sermon series in which we're looking at those things that are a temptation to our heart and a temptation in our decision-making that we may put some things ahead of God in our life. This sermon series is based on the fundamental foundational truth that we as people were made for our relationship with God. We've been designed so that we can only be the people that we were made to be if we're in relationship with God. But because of sin... We are born without that relationship. And so all of us have this God-shaped hole in our life. As a matter of fact, uh, Blaise Pascal, we quoted a couple of weeks ago, philosopher in the 1600s put it this way, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus. But people try and put all kinds of things that aren't God into that God-shaped vacuum. And those things that may take priority over God in our heart or take priority over God in our daily decision-making, those are idols. In this series, we're looking at four different idols in everyday idolatry. And those four different idols are the idol of possessions, pleasure, performance, and popularity. Now, we've already looked at the idol of possessions and the idol of pleasure, and we've examined our hearts and we've said, if there is any way in which there is a hint of those idols creeping into our life, we confess that before God and we repent of it. We come before Him and we submit ourselves fully and totally to Him. As a part of that, we have been renewing our mind with the Bible verse for this sermon series, which is Psalm 73. Verses 25 and 26, which says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And we have let that scripture renew our minds. If you haven't had a chance to memorize that passage yet, I'd encourage you this week to memorize it. Let it wash over your mind and impact your heart. Now today... We're going to be dealing with the idol of performance. Our world places a high priority 
on achievement. You can see the priority of performance, the priority of achievement in almost every aspect of our society around us. Since I was a kid, I have been a fan of Minnesota sports teams. And you can see the priority of performance in the way that we relate to our athletes in our Minnesota sports teams. Think of Randy Moss. By all accounts, Randy Moss hasn't treated fans or his teammates very well. He's been called a jerk by many. At one point, he ran over a meter maid because she dared to ask him to wait his turn in traffic. Another time, he famously cussed out a caterer because this caterer who was providing free food to him didn't provide food that was up to his quality standards. He regularly looked down on teammates as beneath him, and yet, when he was achieving, when he was performing for our team, we declared him to be our favorite player. We bought his jerseys by the thousands and tens of thousands. Or or how about Joe Maurer, who as he came up through the twin system was a local hometown guy. And early in his career, When he was announced during the team announcements, cheers for Joe Maurer were five times as loud as for any other player on the Twins. But as some injuries set in, as his batting average began to fall off, more and more those loud cheers were replaced by boos when his name was announced at Target Field. Why? Because for us, when we relate with those who are a part of our sports teams, achievement and performance are more important to us than character. You can see the priority of performance in the way that we relate to them. Many of you have felt the priority of performance when it came to your own academic life. Some of you, when you were kids, if you got an A, all of life was good. And if you got a C, life was about to end. And for many of us, that doesn't end in elementary school. That continues on with us all the way through college if we go to college. When I was doing campus ministry several years ago, there were every year a group of Christians who would come to campus and they would get involved in church and they would get involved in campus ministry right at the beginning. They were looking for a campus ministry to be involved in. And then over the course of their first semester, as there were more and more school assignments and midterms came, all of a sudden we didn't see them anymore. They weren't going to church anymore. They weren't a part of a campus ministry anymore. Why? Because in their life, all of a sudden, achieving in school and the grades they were to attain became of greater importance than their relationship with Jesus and connecting with Christian community. I always thought to myself, it would almost be better, almost be better, if they abandoned Christian community in order to go and party. Because if they were partying, there would be people who would be praying for them, people who would be talking about them coming back and making Jesus the priority in their life again. But because they left that relationship with Jesus and Christian community in order to achieve academically, so many people would just pat them on the back for how well they were doing. I know in my own life there were many times where I didn't care how much I learned in a class. I only cared about the grade I got. I would rather get an A in a class and not learn anything than get a B- in that class and learn everything that the class had to teach. 
Because so for so many of us, school was about achievement and performance when it came to grades. And not necessarily what we learned or the character that we had or the love of Jesus that we showed to others. We can see the priority of performance in the activities that we take part in in our life. When my son was 9, 10, 11 years old, he played soccer as a part of the rec soccer program in the town that we lived in. Now, this was not high-level soccer. This was that eight-week summer program that every kid participates in just to run around a little bit where they're first learning to kick a ball. And yet it was astounding to me how many times during a 10-year-old soccer game Uh, parents and fans of the team that was losing would begin to berate the 14-year-old kid who was serving as the referee because they didn't like how the game was going. Because it's always a 13 or 14-year-old who is refing those 10-year-old soccer games. And somehow, for many people, the achievement of their 10-year-old winning that soccer game was more important than how they treated that 14-year-old referee. Or I've told you the story before about when I was in the sixth grade and I went to the church softball game of the church that my family was going to. And I got to keep the scorebook. And during a church softball game one Saturday afternoon, the police had to be called in order to remove one of our players from the park premises. The umpire had made a call that he didn't like. And so he started screaming and yelling at the umpire, swearing at the umpire. His teammates came and grabbed him and said, you you can't be doing that. And the umpire ejected him. And when the umpire ejected him, he went ballistic and started charging the umpire, threatening his life, continuing to yell at him and swear at him. This was a guy who was in our church every Sunday. But at least on this day, his priority was achieving in softball rather than anything that had to do with Jesus. We can see the priority of achievement in the activities that we take part in. And of course, we can see the priority of performance and achievement in our workplace. Uh, Three, four years ago, there was an interview that took place with the COO of Facebook. Her name was Sheryl Sandberg. And in that interview, she said that she went home every day by 5.30 so that she could eat dinner with her family and spend time with her kids. And because of that statement that she made, that interview wound up near the top of Fox News' webpage, CNN's webpage, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times webpage. It was a front page article for all of these different websites and publications because it is assumed that if you reach that place in the corporate ladder, you have been willing to sacrifice anything and everything, including your family. And for some people... That is exactly what they have done. I read this letter by a dad lamenting his own commitment to the workplace and desire to achieve in work over all other things. He writes, When my son was a little kid, I didn't relate much with him. I was in the midst of starting and forming my career. I was busy. I figured I'd spend more time with him when he was able to communicate a little more. At three, he doesn't need his dad that much, I told myself. He'll need his dad more when he's 10 and wants to play catch. But when he was in elementary school and junior high, things didn't get easier for me. 
I was out on the road continually for work. I'd moved up at my work and needed to keep pushing if I was going to keep my position and stay on an upward trajectory. Our family had moved into a bigger house and was driving nicer cars, and I couldn't go backward if we were going to keep this life. I'd give my son the latest gaming systems and toys, and he was happy with me on those days. But there were so many days when we didn't see each other except in passing. When my son was in his late teens, he was the worst. He knew everything. So whenever I was around, any paltry insight from the old man was fodder for instant argument. He never said it, but I knew he resented me not being around more and that he was taking it out on me with his caustic tongue. I was in a place in my career where I was able to step back my hours. But now that I had more free time, he didn't have any time for his old man. I would complain to my wife about his lack of respect and gratitude. But inside, I knew that I had chosen work over my son, and I was reaping the whirlwind. As a grown man, my son and his family would visit a couple of times a year. They came every Christmas, and we would celebrate as a family, give gifts, talk current events. But there was always a gap between us. Then last February, my son's wife called with the news of the car accident and my son's passing. He'd been driving by himself and had been hit by a drunk driver who ran a stop sign. And when all the necessary arrangements and activities were concluded, I sat by myself in my well-appointed home, realizing that I would never see him again. Realizing that I chose my career over my son. Believe me when I say that I would give away every promotion and achievement I ever got at work to go back to when my son was three years old and spend 20 minutes playing with him in our backyard. I would give anything to be able to go back to when he was 10 and take him out to dessert to talk about life. But the reality slowly set in that he was gone and that I would never have those opportunities. How many kids and marriages are sacrificed on the altar of achievement at work? And it is far worse when relationship with God takes a back seat to our achievement at work and performing in our workplace. Now you guys, is achievement and performing well a bad thing? Is it wrong to get an A? Is it wrong to win a game? Is it wrong to get a promotion at work? Of course it isn't. Those are good things. They're gifts from God. And we need to recognize that when there's achievement in our life, when we do something well in our life, that's an opportunity to give thanks to our God. He's the one who has given us the gifts and talents that have allowed us to achieve something, allowed us to perform well at something. And so we give him thanks in those situations for those good gifts. And it is worth us recognizing that the idols that we are talking about in this series, for the most part, are not bad things. The idols that we are tempted by in our heart and in our daily priorities are good things that become bad when they take priority over God in our heart and in our daily decision-making. 
the idols that we are dealing with in this series, for the most part, are not bad things. I'm going to say this again. They are good things, gifts from God that become bad in our life when they take priority in our heart and in our daily decision-making over God. Jesus teaches us this in Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, when he tells a parable about a great man who represents God. And this great man who represents God in the parable gives a banquet And he invites everybody from his town to come to the banquet. And when the banquet is prepared, the food is ready, it's time to party, he sends out his servants to go and tell the people who had committed to coming to the banquet that it's time for them to come. But Jesus in this parable says, there are a number of people who don't make it to the great banquet put on by the master in this town. Why? the excuses they give for not coming to the banquet are these. The first guy says, I'm sorry, I've purchased a piece of land and I want to go and see it. The second guy says, I can't come to the banquet because I just purchased a team of oxen and I want to go and try them out in my fields. And the third person says, I can't come to the banquet because I just got married. Now, you guys, owning land, working Marriage, are these bad things? Absolutely not. These are some of God's greatest gifts, aren't they? As a matter of fact, if if we read the first couple of chapters of the book of Genesis, we find that owning land, we find that working, we find that marriage are great gifts that God gave to Adam and Eve before sin even entered into the picture. So what is the problem in Jesus' parable? The problem is that these people have put these good things ahead of being with the Lord in their priorities. They miss out on the banquet, not because they're dedicated to evil, but because they've put good things ahead of God in their priorities and being with God. And we need to remember that, that Satan's primary strategy in our life is to fill our hearts and our daily devotion with good gifts so that we place them in priority over God in our lives so that they become idols to us. I think that the Apostle Paul, before he was saved by Jesus, was a man who was dedicated to this idol of achievement and performance. In Philippians chapter 3, He talks about these achievements that he had in his life. I believe he is responding here to a group of people who are saying, oh sure, Paul's dedicated to Jesus and the gospel, but the only reason he's dedicated to those things is because he could never achieve and live up in his performance to the Old Testament law and to our Jewish religion. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is going to say, are you kidding me? Can't live up? You guys want to compare achievements? Because I was the best when it came to achieving when it came to the Old Testament and to our religion. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 3 about the achievements that characterized his life. He says, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says, when it comes to religious accomplishment, there isn't a single person out there that can hold a candle to what I used to be about in my life. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. To his critics, he says, unlike many of you, I didn't convert to Judaism. I was born a Jew, and my parents cared enough about me to have me circumcised on the exact day that God said young boys were to be circumcised. He says, I was a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Unlike so many Jews of his day, Paul knew which tribe he was a part of. Not only that, it was a tribe of prestige. The tribe of Benjamin was, one, was the only tribe that was faithful to Judah and Jerusalem when the other ten tribes abandoned them. It was the tribe out of which God raised up the first king of Israel. It was the tribe that was allowed to rebuild Jerusalem after the exile with Judah. He says, not, not only do I know my tribe, unlike many of you, it's a tribe of prominence. He says, not only that, but I have lived my life as a Hebrew of Hebrews. Many Jews in Paul's day were becoming Hellenized. What does that mean? That means that they were more and more living their lives according to Greek and Roman customs. They were giving their kids Greek and Roman names. They were dressing in Roman styles. They were living more and more by Greek and Roman philosophies. Paul says, you guys, there isn't an ounce of me that has given in to that Hellenization. You want to have a contest to see who is the most Hebrew among the Hebrews? It's me. It's me. I am the most Hebrew of the Hebrews. He goes on to say, as to the law of Pharisee, how did the Pharisees deal with the law? The Pharisees took any commandment that God gave in the Old Testament, and then they drew a great big circle around that commandment with their oral traditions so that they would never get close to breaking that actual Old Testament law. So, for example, God gave the Old Testament law that they were to keep a Sabbath. And so the Pharisees put hundreds of oral traditions around the Sabbath, hundreds of their own rules around God's command to make sure that they never got close to breaking that command. And Paul says, not only did I keep the Old Testament law, but I kept all of those oral traditions that Pharisees keep. He says, when it comes to my actual zeal for God, I persecuted the church. And we may say, wait a minute, isn't persecuting the church a terrible thing? Well, yes, but Paul lists it here among his accomplishments because it helps us to see how zealous he was for God before he was saved by Jesus. Because before he was saved by Jesus, he believed all of these Christians to be teaching the worship of someone who was not the one true God of Israel. There were other Jews who were frustrated by the Christians' teaching of this Jesus. And there were Jews who whined about these Christians teaching people to worship this Jesus. But Paul says, I was so zealous for the one true God. 
that I had to enact the Old Testament punishments that God laid out. And I disciplined, I punished these people who worship Jesus, even executing them, because I was so zealous for the one true God. And of course, he ends by saying, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, I, w- I was the most complete law keeper of my generation. In the law-keeping academy, I graduated first in my class. Right? I was complete, I was mature in my keeping of the law and all of those oral traditions that go around it. So much so that we see in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, that Paul was chosen as a student of a rabbi named Gamaliel. Now that may, name may not mean much to us. But Gamaliel was the most prominent rabbi of his day and one of the best-known rabbis in the history of Judaism. He was known for his wisdom, his insight, and his integrity. And the most prominent rabbi of this day chose Paul, or at that time Saul, to be his student. Paul was an achiever. Before he met Jesus, what was his life dedicated to? It was dedicated to achieving religious goals. It was dedicated to his work, which was his religion. He was an achiever. He was dedicated to performance. And I think it is worth us asking as we read about Paul's life, whether there is any way in which this idol of performance has slipped into our life? Is there any way in which it is tempting our hearts? I have a few different categories that we can do a heart check uh, according to. Look at these categories and ask yourself if there's any way that performance or achievement is slipping in as an idol in these categories. Is academic performance an idol? Students, is there any way in which your grades or achieving at school has become more important than God in your life? Is activity performance an idol? When I was a student, grades weren't so much an idol for me, but the most important thing for me each and every week was whether or not we had won that week's football game or whether we'd won that week's basketball games. My activities were more important than God in my life. They were an idol in my life. Is there any of that in your life? Is there any way, adults, in which your activities are an idol in your life? I've had friends who have had to give up singing groups they were a part of or chose to give up the game of golf because even though those are good things, they found that they were taking too much priority in their life. And so they had to give them up. Is activity performance an idol in your life? Is ministry performance an idol in your life. There are times in which we can be tempted in order to put ministry and the way we serve ahead of knowing God in our life. Our ministries and the way we serve in them can actually become more important to us than our relationship with God. Is there any way in which your connection to a particular ministry or your way of serving God has become a part of your identity? Is there any way that it's become more important than knowing God and living for God? Is parenting performance an idol in your life? 
A few years ago, I had to write these questions for myself, and maybe you'll find them helpful as well. Do I care more about how my kids are performing in school or activities or how they're growing in the fruit of God's Spirit? When people ask me how my kids are doing, does my mind go to how they're walking with Jesus or to a list of other accomplishments that the world values? Do the questions that I ask my kids communicate what I really care about is how they perform and achieve? The questions we ask our kids most communicate our genuine priorities for them. And so what are the questions you ask your kids most communicating about your priorities for their life? Are the questions I'm asking my kids communicating that my real priorities are about how they perform and how they achieve? Do I care more about how my kids behave and how they look on the outside or what's going on in their heart? Is there any way in which parenting performance is an idol in my life? And is there any way in which work performance and achieving at work is an idol in my life? In which achieving at work has been placed ahead of God in my life? Is there any way in which I'm sacrificing my marriage or my kids to that idol of getting ahead in my workplace? I'd invite you to just take a moment and reflect on these or any others that I didn't talk about and ask yourself that question. Is there any way in which the idol of performance has been slipping into my life or is impacting my heart and my daily decisions? And if the answer to that is yes, there's ways that it's slipping in or there's ways that I'm tempted by this idol of performance, what do we do? Well, I think we look back to what Paul says next in Philippians chapter 3. Because after listing all of his accomplishments and all of the different ways that he was able to perform, he then says that the gospel has completely transformed the way I see life and the way that I see achievement. Look at how Paul now sees achievement because of the impact of the gospel in his life. In verses 7 and 8, he says, But at whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What does Paul say about his accomplishments? He says, if you take a financial ledger of my life, and on one side there is a profit column, and on the other side there is a loss column, he says, everything that I used to count as an achievement in my life has moved from the profit column over to the loss column, and now the profit column is filled with one achievement alone. And that achievement is knowing Jesus Christ. We might expect Paul to say, since Jesus saved me, everything that I used to put in the profit column has moved down in priority under Jesus. And it's still in the profit column, but it submits to Jesus. But that isn't what he says here. Instead, Paul says, by comparison with knowing Jesus, the one achievement that is worthwhile, everything else by comparison actually goes in the loss column. It's rubbish. It's dung, he says, by comparison. Compared to the one thing that matters. That's the gospel impact in our life. When the gospel takes root in who we are, 
It changes the way we see life, and it changes the way that we look at achievements in our life. And we recognize there's only one achievement that matters in all of life. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Right? Say that again. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's the one achievement that is worthwhile when the gospel takes root in who we are. When Paul says, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, everything else is lost, everything else is rubbish. That sounds a lot like, whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you, doesn't it? That my flesh and my heart may fail, but you, God, you are the strength of my heart. You are my portion forever. That sounds a lot like what Paul is saying, isn't it? Where do we go from here? Well, first of all, let's recognize that in Philippians chapter 4, after these verses that we just looked at, Paul says that because of the gospel and the fact that I now count the only achievement in life that is worth pursuing as being knowing, as knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, that in chapter 4, verse 4, just after this, he says, now my life is filled with constant rejoicing. I am rejoicing in the Lord always. And in chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he says, I am constantly content in life. My circumstances change all the time. Sometimes I've got tiny amounts and sometimes I've got plenty. He said, but I have this constant contentment in my life because the gospel has taken root. And all of my other achievements I count as loss and there's only one thing that is worth pursuing. How are we going to grow this week in setting aside all of the idols of performance, all of these achievements, and seeking only that one great achievement of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord all the more. I hope that how we will go about this this week will be what you discuss and what you think about and pray about as we move through today's discussion questions. Those discussion questions are designed today to help us talk about the ways in which we can set aside achievement and performance in our life, confess it, repent of it, put it aside, and instead seek after Jesus as the one great achievement in our life. If you're by yourself, I'd encourage you to spend some time praying and journaling through these questions. And if you're with your family, spend some time discussing these questions together. What are our discussion questions for today? They're this. First, in what ways... Does our society encourage us to worship the idol of performance and achievement? Second, how can things that are good gifts of God become bad in our life according to Luke 14, verses 15 through 24? Third, in what areas are you most tempted to make achievement the priority of your daily decisions? Is it academic performance, activity performance, ministry performance, parenting performance, work performance, or is it something that we didn't even talk about today in which achievement and performance has priority in your life? And finally, what do you want to do this week to pursue achievement in the area of knowing Christ Jesus above anything and everything else in your life? We, we want that to be the great pursuit of our life. Wh whom have we in heaven but you, Lord? The earth has nothing else we desire besides you. You're it. 
you are the great achievement, knowing you more and being with you more. Father, as we come before you today, we're so thankful that you have designed life so that when we seek fulfillment in you and closeness with you and intimacy with you, there is great joy, that there's ultimate contentment, that only you can provide in life. We thank you for that, and we seek after you with all that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you spend time with those discussion questions today, we want to continue to worship the Lord. And as has been true every week that we've been meeting like this, you can, of course, give your worship to God as an expression of your love for Him and your faith in Him. You can do so online. You can do so on the app or by mailing in a check here to the church. But we want to continue to worship God in song as well. And today we're going to do so through a special song that was chosen that talks about the hecticness and craziness of trying to live a life where we are trying to perform and achieve on so many levels. And so I'd invite you to sit back, enjoy this song about what it means to just breathe in God, to seek after Him and relationship with Him. Let's worship our God together. Alarm clock screaming, bare feet hit the floor. Yes, it's off to the races, everybody out the door. I'm feeling like I'm falling behind, and it's a crazy life. 90 miles an hour, going fast as I can Trying to push a little harder, trying to get the upper hand So much to do with so little time, it's a crazy life Well, it's ready, set, go, it's another wild day When the stress is on the rise in my heart I hear you say, just breathe, just breathe Come and rest at my feet and be, just be, chaos calls, but all you really need is to just breathe. Third cup of joe just to get me through the day, I want to make the most of time but I can feel it slip away, I wonder if there's something more to this crazy life Busy, busy, busy And it's no surprise to see That I only have time for me, me, me There's gotta be something more To this crazy life Well, I'm hanging on tight To another wild day When it starts to fall apart In my heart I hear you say Just breathe Just breathe Come and rest at my feet and be, just be. Chaos calls, but all you really need is to take it in and feel your lungs. Peace of God that overcomes just.
Let your weary spirit rest Lay down what's good and find what's best Just Just breathe, just breathe, come and rest at my feet, and be, just be, chaos calls for all you really need, is to just breathe. Just breathe. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that in you we have life. We thank you that in you we have hope. God, help us to set our minds on what matters most. Help us to know the worth of knowing you and being known by you, God. As we go this week, help us to look, God, for ways to honor you, to glorify you and be glorified in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.